actually. But for now, there are things that I remember as a child going to church around about Christmas, going to church in general. There are things that I did not really appreciate that much as a child that I do appreciate more now as I grow up. I went to a church in a liturgical context, Church of Ireland, so there was a lot of reading, a lot of repetition that sort of went over my head a lot when I was there. But as I look back on some of those prayers, I realize how how powerful they actually are. And one of the things about the, the the liturgical church context that I do now appreciate more than I did when I was a kid is the church calendar. And the fact that Every year follows a pattern and every Sunday has a name and God's people are continuously focused on things over and over and over again, just like they were in the Old Testament with the Feasts of Israel. So the four Sundays before Christmas are referred to as the four Sundays of Advent. And this is the first Sunday in Advent 2020. Now, when did Advent actually begin? It might begin today for us, for the, for the church in 2020, but when did it actually begin biblically? Where could you point to in your Bible and say that is the beginning of Advent? You might go in your mind to the sort of familiar Christmas passages of Matthew chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. You might think about when the, the Magi, the wise men, visited Jesus you might think about when the shepherds visited him and think that that's Advent for me, that's, that's Christmas, that's the part of the Bible that makes me think of Christmas. Um, or you might even go back to Matthew 1 or Luke chapter 1 where Jesus' birth is foretold and angels come and speak and, and, and tell of his, of his birth to, to Mary and to Joseph, uh, to Elizabeth and to Zachariah. I don't think that's where Advent begins. And I don't think what we need right now in 2020 is a nativity. I don't think the world needs a nativity story this year. I think what we need is a savior. What we need is is not so much the baby in the manger as the king on his throne. So I don't think during this Advent season, I will talk very much about shepherds and wise men. But I'll talk a lot about Jesus. So what about if we back up further? When did Advent begin? Did it it begin with the prophets maybe that prophesied around the time of exile? Such as Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9. Unto us a child is born. Is that when Advent began? I don't think so. I would go back further. What about about Isaiah chapter 7 which says that the virgin will be with child and we'll give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel. Is that when Advent started? Surely, surely we're there. That's the, 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 the promise. No, I don't think so. I think we need to go back further than that. And you maybe say, well, okay, let's go back to Genesis then. In Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis 12, we read of, of God promising Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. All people on the earth will be blessed through you. And you think, well, there's the promise given to Abraham that there is coming uh, a child, there is coming uh, offspring, there is coming um, an infant 
who through his descendants is going to bless the entire world. But no, I would go back further. I would not say that that's the, the beginning of Advent. I go back to Genesis 3, and that's where I want you to go now if you have your Bible to hand. Genesis chapter 3, and I'm going to read a couple of verses in the middle of the chapter. And for me, as I've pondered this in the last day or two and, and really thought over it, this for me is when Advent begins in the Bible. In Genesis 1 and 2, you have the story of creation. We've talked about it a lot this year in the, the YouTube sessions earlier in the year in April and May. We talked a lot about Genesis, about new creation, about new exodus as well. But in Genesis 3, you read of a serpent who told a lie and deceived humanity into having a wrong understanding of God. Ultimately, that's what happened right back at the start. The devil comes in the form of a serpent and deceives men and women so that they have a wrong understanding of who God is. No different from today. And of course, the man and the woman rebel against God. They take the fruit from the tree that they were not meant to eat from. Sin enters and separates humanity from their loving creator, their God who created them and loved them and wanted community with them and to give them life. Sin separated that. And in Genesis 3, chapter, or verse 14 and 15, listen to what God says to that serpent. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That for me is the start of Advent, the promise of a saviour to deal with sin. Adam and Eve are separated from God and the promise comes that her offspring, a child from her, a descendant, will crush the head of the serpent. Advent began in Genesis 3 and it ran on for a long, long time. And at the end of Genesis 3, we have a sorry picture of Adam and Eve. Verse 21 says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them, a temporary covering for their nakedness and their shame. And the Lord God said to them, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. You have a picture at the end of, of Genesis 3 of the man and the woman outside of the garden. God has banished them from it because of sin. And what you have there is exile. And we've talked a lot about exile lately on Sunday mornings and what exile means to the people of God. And if we're, if we're still missing it, we're missing too much. 
We're missing too much about the story of God and his people and the story of Jesus. Genesis 3 ends with humanity in exile, away from the presence of God, on their own, out of the garden. The garden, by the way, was a temple. And you know in your biblical theology and you dig into it and you read about the tabernacle and the temple and other things, you realize the garden itself was a temple. It was a meeting place between man and God. And they've been driven out and they are in exile, exiled from the presence of God. What happened to Adam and Eve is the same thing that will later happen to Israel, the same thing that has happened to all of humanity, exiled away from God because of sin. But the promise of a savior is the beginning of Advent and it is in the third chapter of your Bible. So Advent begins in the dark begins in the dark. The first Sunday in Advent is not like Christmas Day. It is a different day, the first Sunday in Advent. Advent begins in a minor key. I love Christmas music. Do you like Christmas music, Church Mouse? Yeah, Church Mouse loves Christmas music as well. I love Christmas music. Well, apart from some songs, that Mariah Carey song, that Wham song, that Slade song, uh, probably the Gary Glitter song as well, to be honest. Uh, Apart from those, I really love Christmas music. I like secular music. I like spiritual music. I like hymns and I like pop. I like Frank Sinatra and I like Charles Wesley. I love Christmas music. Most Christmas music is not in a minor key. I don't know an awful lot about music theory, but I know that minor keys sound dark, and moody and I know that on a guitar whenever you hit the chord of E minor it reaches places that no other chord can reach it's just a heavy foreboding dark chord a lot of rock music is is based around E minor and the chord of E minor on the guitar opens up what is my favorite song for this time of year I've listened to it a lot of times Over the years, I've listened to it a lot of times in the last 24 hours. It's a song called, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Not O Come, All You Faithful. That'll come later. That'll come at Christmas. This is Advent. And the song is, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's probably categorized as a Christmas carol. If you go to a playlist on your your music service and you, you look up, Christmas carols by choirs or whatever, you will find this in among them, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. But I don't know that I would define it as a Christmas carol. I would say it's more of an Advent lament than a Christmas carol. To lament is to express sorrow and grief or regret. But it's not sorrow and grief over death. In the Bible, there are psalms of lament, Songs that are expressing deep, deep sorrow for the state of the nation and asking for God to come and intervene and bless the nation and do something about what has gone wrong. These are songs of lament. They're not songs of celebration. And this for me is a song for the first Sunday in Advent. It's a song for this season of the year. These psalms of lament can be pretty blunt. 
Um, I think there, there are passages as we read through the Psalms, there are passages that we maybe slightly cringe over a little bit and think, oh my goodness, David, you weren't actually maybe that spiritual after all. We read about, about the psalmist being envious of the prosperity of the wicked, getting annoyed when he looks at people who are wicked, who are unrighteous, who don't honor God, and yet they're doing really well. He gets annoyed about that and he writes it in one of his songs. In Psalm 13, verse 1, where the psalmist cries out to God and says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Now, I've never heard anybody at the prayer meeting pray like that. And I've never prayed like that at the prayer meeting either. But that's pretty honest stuff. When you feel like you've been forgotten by God and you actually acknowledge it and say, God, are you going to forget me forever? When are you going to deal with my issues? Or Psalm 44, where the psalmist actually says in verse 23, Wake up, God. Why are you sleeping? Will you reject us forever? If these psalms were put to music, I think they'd be in a minor key because they they need that brooding, melancholic, heavy, somber mood. And I think that song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, sums up Advent more authentically for me than any other song. Let me read just a couple of verses. Think about Adam and Eve outside the garden, exiled with the promise of a saviour. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. It's an Advent lament. It's a hymn about exile, about being in the dark and separated from God, but crying out for him to come. O come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. O come, God, you've banished us. You've exiled us. Come and be with us. The second verse or the next verse that I have here says, O come, O come, thy rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell, your people you will save and give them victory o'er the grave. That's powerful. And that's an Advent lament. These words sum up the mood of Advent perfectly from a biblical point of view. We're not talking about Christmas. We're talking about Advent. Songs like this are often written in times of exile. They're written as a cry to God in the darkness. Isaiah in Isaiah 64, the first verse, cries to God and he says, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. You ever prayed like that? You ever looked at the chaos and the darkness around you and screamed at God, would you come and would you deal with this? Would you do something about it? That is a cry of lament at the state of the world around us or at the state of our own circumstances, a yearning in the darkness for God to come. When you read the book of Ezekiel, you read in the first chapter about about these crazy angelic beings that are sitting on wheels within wheels that are moving in different directions it's a it's impossible to actually picture what's going on there but as you read on a few chapters you start to see where are these guys going and what are they doing and you find that the presence of God is actually being carried away from the temple the people are going into exile and God is gone he's out of there They're in the darkness because of their sin, 
They are crying out for deliverance. O come, Emmanuel, ransom us, ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. That is a line for the first Sunday of Advent. Mourning in lonely exile until the Son of God appears. Advent began outside the gate of the Garden of Eden. It began in the darkness. It began with the loss of the presence of God among men and women. It began in a place of exile. But along with it, there was a promise that God would send a Savior. And the wait began. And the wait went on and on and on and on. And the purpose of the season of Advent in the church is to take up that posture of waiting. Waiting in the darkness, crying out to God to come and to deliver, to ransom his people who are captive in exile, to set them free from the tyranny of Satan. That's where Advent begins. Isaiah chapter 8, if you would go there, I'll just read you a verse or a couple of verses at the end of the chapter. Isaiah gives us a description of what the nation was like at the end of chapter 8. And he doesn't veneer it. He doesn't whitewash it, gloss over it. He doesn't put tinsel and glitter on it. He says exactly what's going on in the nation. In verse 21 of Isaiah 8, he talks about people being distressed and hungry. They will roam through the land. just, Just think about our land. Think about our culture. Think about our towns. Maybe even for some, think about your own heart. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. That is not a very Christmassy verse. Because Isaiah is not talking about Christmas yet. He will. He's talking about Advent. He's talking about the darkness and the waiting. If you are not aware of the darkness around us, then you must literally live with your eyes closed or never actually go out of the house. This this verse describes hunger, roaming people who are angry and are, are, are shaking their fists at God, people who are in distress and darkness. And it is an apt description of where the world is. And it's an apt description of the mood of the first Sunday of Advent. And if this is bleak and gloomy, you better stay tuned because we're not done. Great stories always take you down into the pits of darkness and despair and then bring you back up again. So, Church Mouse, can I have that book, please? We have various traditions in our house, thank you. Uh, At Christmas, this is one of them. We read this. We read it aloud. We normally, we've finished it a couple of times. Frequently, we get about 80% of the way through it, and then things get busy. But I'm quite confident this year that we'll finish it, because we're going to start it tonight. So this is A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. And if you have never read the original of this, I would highly recommend it. In fact, I would highly recommend you read it out loud if you can find somebody who will listen to it because it really is fantastic. 
But the reason that the story is so powerful is that it takes you down into the absolute pits of despair. It paints a picture that is unspeakably bleak of a horrific, twisted, selfish, nasty, hateful old man. And it has to take you to those dark places of despair if you're going to then get the kick at the end and be pulled back up into the light and into the joy again. That's the power of this story. There's another tradition we have at Christmas. Can I have that white thing that you you don't really know what it is, please? Is this. Now, this, children, is a VHS video cassette. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen one of these before? Okay, the church mouse has seen one of these. These are um, quite old, but actually, believe it or not, there's a movie on here. And this is the movie. Now, I bought this when I was about 19. I, bought, I can remember the day I got it. I was at the Metro Center in Gateshead. There's a, there was a massive HMV store up in one corner of it. And I was having a wee notion in life that I was watching a lot of old movies with like John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart in them. And I picked up this. This is the 50th anniversary edition. And it's now over 20 years old. This movie is incredible, and we watch this every single year. I could quote every line, but the power of the film, like the book, is that it takes you down into the pits of despair. After about 90 minutes, you are so miserable. He is so miserable in there, so miserable, suicidal. Everything around him has fallen to pieces, but if you're not brought into the pits of darkness and despair, you cannot then feel the lift that comes at the end. The last 45 minutes of this are incredible, but if you just watch the last 45 minutes without the first hour and a half, you miss it. It would be like celebrating Christmas without Advent. You've got to be brought down low if you're going to appreciate the lift that comes at the end. And I would say that if you don't understand the darkness of Advent, the separation that comes due to sin, think about Adam and Eve, think about Israel, think about your own heart. If you don't understand the separation that comes because of sin, the absence of the presence of God as he leaves the temple, the relocation of his people away from the temple into Babylon in the Old Testament exile, the relocation of Adam and Eve out of the garden, the mourning in lowly exile, as the song says. If you don't understand those things, it's like not watching the first hour and a half of the movie and just watching the wee bit at the end because you like that wee bit at the end. It's like putting on your favorite Christmas song and having a mince pie. It feels good, but you've missed the point. And the point of Advent is that dark waiting in exile that causes a cry from your heart to arise. Oh, come, Emmanuel. Come, God. Rend the heavens and come down to your people. If you're going to really appreciate and understand the joy, the unspeakable joy of Christmas, then you've got to understand the darkness of Advent. Waiting in the dark. We wait in the darkness and it's not the, it's not the beautiful darkness of a still, moonless night. It is ugly darkness. It's chaos and disorder. 
The word chaos is defined as, as complete confusion, complete disorder. God initially in Genesis 1 moves in the darkness and the chaos and brings life and light. And Advent is a time, certainly the early period of Advent, to look and to acknowledge the darkness as Isaiah did in verse 8 when he says, They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Are you in exile from God? Are you separated from him because of your sin or the sin of others? What you have done, the choices you've maybe made, or possibly how you have been affected by the consequences of the choices of other people. And you are in exile and you are in darkness because of that. Or are you in a a chaotic season of life? You're not actually exiled from God. You are walking with him. But as you look back over 2020, it has been an ugly year. Regardless of pandemic and all the other things that are going on, you have had a rough year and you don't feel maybe particularly Christmassy, but maybe you do feel very Adventy, if there is such a word. Maybe you are, because you won't whitewash over the darkness that Isaiah talks about, because you will face it and you will name it, maybe you're in the perfect position to actually have an incredible Christmas because you're going through an authentic advent, a season of waiting, a season of crying out to God to come and to sort out all the confusion and all the darkness that has come into your life for whatever reason. For a lot of people, the season of of Christmas is not a season of joy. They feel they're suffering more sharply than at other times of year. They become hopeless. The darkness around them becomes real. And I would suggest that they're perfectly positioned to actually really encounter Christmas because they are in Advent. This week, I uh, watched an episode of a TV show. I've been working over the last sort of couple of years. I have uh, watched the entire seven seasons of this, The West Wing, finally, about probably 15 years after it actually was on TV. And I, I watch an episode every time that I'm on the exercise bike. And finally, over the summer, I finished season seven and enjoyed it, but then immediately felt a wee bit sad and thought, what am I going to do now? What am I going to watch to pass the time on the exercise bike so I don't get bored? So I went back to the start again and started season one. And this week... I finished off season two. Now, season two of The West Wing, which is obviously set in the White House, season two ends with what a lot of American TV critics reckon is the best hour of American television ever made, an episode called Two Cathedrals. And in this episode, the president, played by Martin Sheen, wonderful actor, is in a cathedral on his own. I will not tell you the context of why he was there, in case you watch it sometime, but he's in a cathedral on his own. He tells his security team to seal the doors and to leave them, and there's no one else in the building except him. It's a huge, huge cathedral in Washington. And he begins to shout at God. Now, if we were here on a Sunday morning together, and I was using the TV and had my keynote presentation, 
I might play this, but if I did play it, I'd have to put a warning in before it. Now, the stuff itself is only rated 12, okay? So it's not, it's not particularly harsh, but he begins to shout at God. Now, he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a religious man, and this comes out throughout his, the, the, the whole story of this TV series. Not religious in a negative way, but he's a man. He quotes the Bible a lot, and he's a, he's a, he's a man of honor. But he begins to shout at God in the cathedral. He calls God names. And then he speaks to God in Latin. And I reckon the reason that he speaks to God in Latin in, in this is he's, a, he's from a Catholic background. But I reckon the reason that they have him in the TV show talking to God in Latin is because what he is saying is quite offensive. And I said it in English, people would go nuts. He shouts at God. He rages against God because the circumstances all around him that have happened are throwing his life into chaos and disorder and he's basically given off to God in the cathedral. It's very, very powerful. I think some Christians wouldn't enjoy it. They would switch off and say, you shouldn't talk to God like that. But the same people should maybe go back and read the Psalms and see how David talks to God. He shouts and he shouts at God. What is it that makes you want to scream out in anger against God? What is it that causes you to say, how long will this darkness and this chaos continue? Why am I in this place? What did I do wrong? In the TV show, the president say, he t- says that he has only honored God. He has done good. He starts to list all his policies and the things that he has done well in his first term in the presidency. And then starts to shout at God, "Is why is all this stuff going on around him? And then the last 10 minutes of the episode, very, very powerful stuff. Very powerful stuff. But the point is, I think that's Advent. I think Advent is looking at the darkness and the circumstances. And Advent is being honest with God. And asking, when will this change? When will you come and fix this? Why is it like this? Why do I deserve this? Why are these circumstances the way they are? I think that in that TV episode, if you ever watch it, you should not get offended at how he talks to God in a cathedral. You should applaud the honesty and the power of it and see how things then pan out later in the episode. What is it that causes you to scream, this is not right? I shouldn't be going through this. Christmas Day is a day. The season of Advent is a season. And by trying to take Christmas Day and make it last for a month, you actually miss the power of Christmas because you negate the season of Advent. You become frustrated trying to drum up a feeling that you don't actually have. Every year you will hear multiple people, maybe nearly every day between now and Christmas, you'll hear people say, I just don't feel that Christmassy. It doesn't feel like Christmas. And you maybe should politely say to them, that's because it's not Christmas, it's Advent. Christmas is coming. But right now is Advent. Right now is the long wait. Right now is the cry in the darkness for the Son of God to appear and ransom his people who are in exile. It's Advent. And those who celebrate Christmas the best are those who understand Advent the most. Have you had an awful 2020? Have you lost the presence of God? 
as you picture Adam and Eve standing outside the garden, do you picture yourself standing with them, mourning a bad decision, mourning the behavior maybe of somebody else, and feeling separated from God? And there's a cry rising in you that you want his presence again, that you want him to return to the temple, to the tabernacle, that you want him in your own life. Jesus came, and in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, we have a portion of Scripture that's referred to sometimes as the Beatitudes. And the first few of them, Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I don't know if it's Eugene Peterson or Daryl Johnson or who it is that took the word blessed and said it actually would be well translated as congratulations. Congratulations. You who are poor in spirit, you who are in exile, You who are shaking your fist at God and saying, why have you let this happen? You who are being honest with God like the psalmist or like the president in the TV show. You who are raising your voice and saying, when are you going to come and do something about this, God? When are you going to acknowledge and see my brokenness and fix it? You who have looked at the world around you and looked at your own circumstances and said, I see this and I call it what it is. This is darkness. Jesus would say to you, congratulations. You who are faking it and hanging tinsel on the dead wood of your life and pretending everything is fine, Jesus does not say congratulations. You're trying to make Christmas last for a month instead of doing Advent. But those of you who are in Advent, who are in the dark and you know you're in the dark, Jesus says to you, congratulations. You are poor in spirit. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, you are ripe for my salvation. You are ripe for my grace. You are ripe for being in my kingdom because you understand your poverty of spirit. You will name the darkness all around you and you will acknowledge it. I invite you to ponder Advent today. It comes from a Latin word about coming, about the coming of Jesus ponder Advent. Those who, who begin this time of year stuffing themselves with chocolate and mince pies and listening to Mariah Carey on repeat will not acknowledge what's really going on in their hearts. They short-circuit Advent and try to make Christmas Day last for a month and it doesn't work. It just leads to frustration. It's just glitter and sparkle. There's nothing there. There is no flourishing tree underneath it all. Dead wood. What is it that makes you cry out and scream out in the darkness? Oh, come, Emmanuel. Crush the head of that serpent. You are a perfect candidate for Christmas if you will actually posture yourself in Advent. To finish, just let me remind you that the darkness does not have the last word. And let me remind you that Advent lasts for four Sundays and there's more to come, but it has to start in the dark. 
Isaiah 8, 22, they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Always turn the page and always keep reading. Isaiah 9, verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Advent has begun. Christmas is coming. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for this season. Oh God, help us to not just rush through it, trying to get to the, to the end, trying to get to the, the moment, the day. God, I pray you would draw us into Advent. Draw us into a place that we are so desperately yearning for Emmanuel. Desperate for your presence to return to your people. Desperate to be back in the garden with the risen Jesus. I thank you so much, Lord, for your word. And I thank you for your encouragement. And I pray for those for whom some words may have resonated this morning. I pray for those for whom this has been a year of darkness and chaos, a year when their decisions or maybe the behavior of someone else has left them exiled, has left them broken. And I pray that within them right now, Lord, a victory cry would begin, a song would rise up, a cry for the presence of God to come back, for the Son of God to appear. I ask, Lord, you'd bless us in this season. Bless our homes and our families, Lord. We lift to you once again, our key workers, our decision makers, our leaders, our NHS, those that, that are on the front line. We lift to you our business, our local businesses, Lord, who suffer at this time. We pray, God, that you would help them. I pray, Father, that no business in this town would close during this period, Father, that you would sustain them. And I just ask you to bless each person today. Give them a day of peace and rest, Lord. Bless their homes, bless their families. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, amen. Um, me and Samuel, the church mouse, we're going to go and have a kick around in the car park with the church football. Hope you have a blessed day and uh, yeah, see you on Tuesday night in Zoom. See you here next week. Bye. See ya. Bye-bye.